Jeremiah 31, from verses 31 through 34. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I, I, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach again uh, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now that's a now this covenant again, this new covenant, as we can see, is entirely based on God's sovereign will. I mean that is made perfectly clear in this passage. And that's where I put the first bullet point, I will, repeated over and over and over again. God says, I will, I will, I will. And it's all him. Not like the other covenant. Okay, verse 32, let's look at that one again. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Again, that was, again, the, uh, the new covenant is totally unconditional. The former covenant referred to here was the Mosaic covenant which was the giving of the law. That was a conditional covenant. And if, we're not going to go back there today, but, uh, well, let's, we, let's look at Deuteronomy. Take the back. Let's look at Deuteronomy, and I think that'll explain what we mean. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 28. And there's many, many places throughout the Old Testament, ever since the law was first given. Um, <clears throat> but uh, this one kind of puts it clearly. Deuteronomy 28.1 says, Now it shall be, here's the big, biggest little word in any language, if. <laughs> that word, if. I mean, that little word packs a punch. I mean, it's... It's like two fingers in the eye. Remember the three stooges? Bink. <laughs> Someone does. <laughs> now it shall be if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Check that. High above all the nations of the earth. You know, there is a time in our future still, where the nation Israel will actually assume that position. And if, there's that big little word again, if the nation would have just obeyed the law, theoretically that would have happened. But of course they didn't. And so that's not going to happen. And it's going to take God to get it done. And that's that's where this new covenant comes in, okay? As, 
as well as the Abrahamic covenant. That was unconditional. Abraham, I will build you a nation. And also, Abraham, you know, you'll be a, a blessing to many nations. The Davidic covenant, David, I will establish your throne forever. That's going to happen. Because that's not dependent on humanity whatsoever. Okay? But the... <clears throat> The, the uh, Mosaic Covenant, keeping the law was. It's on you. Keep the law. You know, you do this, you got it made. But, and then, you know, like, if you go, we're not going to do that, but you read through what the blessings would have been had they obeyed. And then you look at verse 15. The other side of that if is but. It shall come about if. You will not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And then he proceeds to list (laughs) all the various curses and struggles that's going to befall the nation if they don't live up to the law, which, of course, they didn't. I mean, they went so far as to adopt idolatry. And and what we know, <laughs> the rest is history, as they say, right? <laughs> What's ironic is those idols were in the high places. Yeah, they will be put. They put idols. In yeah, they put up. They there is yeah yeah. It, it uh, they just totally, totally uh, went away from the. I mean, they just did a complete 180 from the law. Now, as far as this covenant is concerned, it doesn't hurt anything. Let's look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5. I've been thinking about this portion of Scripture for a long time now. Matthew 5, which is the opening chapter of the, what is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. The Sermon on the Mount, all by itself, would be a tremendous study. I'm thinking... It's on my radar screen, let's just put it that way. Of course, it's a half a dozen other things out there too, but anyhow. Matthew 5, 17 through 19. Again, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law. I want to stop right there because a lot of that, that is a false belief that's been running around for centuries, actually. That, oh, Jesus came, law doesn't mean anything. Uh oh. Oh, oh, contraire, as they say, it does. It does. It, it's, you want to know what God thinks about certain things? Look at the, you know, it says, are all sins equal? Mm, all sins are detestable in the sight of God, but all sins are not equal. If you want to know, what do you mean by that? Look at the various punishments in the Old Testament that were put on certain sins. And you'll find that there's a whole lot of things that are, like, like, uh, disobedience to parents, death penalty. Death penalty. <laughs> Just to let you know. But but we're in the New Testament times now, so you're okay. <laughs> but 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 what that but what that tells you though that that's extremely important because again you think about well why would that be well you know a very important creation of God is the family unit. Mm-hmm. And that unit he wants to be tight. And that's why anything at all that would 
mess up the family unit, God does not like. Okay, I'll just leave it at that. But anyway, I digress. It says, but I come to abolish the law or, to, or the prophets. In other words, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill. Major difference. Major difference. That's why we can look at the Old Testament or the Mosaic law, if you will, and see, ah, oh, we don't need to do animal sacrifices anymore. Because what those sacrifices were pointing to, Jesus Christ, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world, he was the ultimate sacrifice. All those thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions, perhaps, of sacrifices over the decades were pointing to. Once he came and died, that's it. No sacrifice has any real meaning anymore. It just it doesn't. He fulfilled that. But as far as thou shalt not steal, you know, that's still in vogue. That's still part that the, the moral the moral law is still there. It's still God still um, you know, the punishments aren't there because the nation's not there. But within that nation, but it's not, you see. Now, for truly I say to you, verse 18, until heaven and earth shall pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished, including Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. That will be accomplished as well. And then he goes on to say, Whoever then annuls one at least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So anyway, we're still to, are, we're still to be obedient to the moral aspects of the law. And you'll find the moral aspects of the law, they're, all, they're restated in the New Testament. They're, they're, they're in the New Testament as well. They're restated. You know, those principles and, and direct teachings are still there. Now, the new covenant concerning Israel has not yet fulfilled. We go back to, again, Jeremiah 31, where it says, uh, <clears throat> days are coming. Well, you say, well, that's, that's forward of Jeremiah, and, yes, and it's still forward of us, because you look back in history, uh, <clears throat> and even today, uh, well, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. In verse 33, it says, This covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those, day, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And when it's talking about this, it's talking about Israel in totality, as a nation. National Israel will have the law written on their heart. They are probably, in our day, one could say they're probably further away from God than they were in Jesus' day in terms of numbers. It's just the nation. The nation as a nation is, very, you know, even the nation Israel itself is a very secular nation. Okay, very secular nation. The, uh, you look at the, uh, the Jewish, different Jewish sects in our world today, they are mostly secular mostly on the liberal bent. And even your conservative Jews tend to uh, spiritualize and allegorize the, the Old Testament. So, yeah, they're, they're very far, far from God. And quite honestly, as we're going to see as we move through our, our study of prophecy, that is actually part of God's plan. 
Okay, that is actually God, part of God's plan. And we're going to start, next time we get together, we're going to start laying out some time frames. You know, it's just talking about, you know, when these things, and what, and because we, we need to see uh, the difference between Israel and the church, for example, and how they fit together in God's flow of, of history. And they do, and there's places for both of us. Okay? Now, the fulfillment of this covenant will be characterized by all of Israel. In other words, all of Israel will walk in obedience. We, we read that in Jeremiah. Let's look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. Now, in Ezekiel 36, you're going to see a lot of parallels with um, Jeremiah. Ezekiel's, in, in effect, repeating that, that covenant. <clears throat> Ezekiel 36, 22 to 29. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from, from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then, and here's, here's where you really, we really want to take note, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And you will live in the land that I will give you give your forefathers so that you will be my people I will be your God moreover I will save you from your uncleanness and I will and I will call for the grain and multiply it and I will not bring a famine on you now you start reading all this all this is going to happen I mean I can see think back to even the Abrahamic covenant see I'm talking about the land Remember in the Abrahamic covenant, you have the land is part of that promise. Okay, here just talking about the land, and the fact that Israel is back in the nation, as we sit here today, that's not a fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant at all. The the fact that they're there is great, but that's not a fulfillment. Okay, the fulfillment is when Messiah, because all of it's going to be fulfilled. So now let's move from the Abrahamic to the Davidic covenant. That's going to be fulfilled at the same time. They're all going to come together. And then Messiah is going to come, and he's going to assume the throne of David. Kingdom will be established. And again, and then the nation Israel will be the premier nation of the world. Far from it today. Okay? So again, got to keep all that stuff together. There's a lot going on here and then this one too and this one is their heart the internal change we got the external the land okay the throne but their hearts have to be 
re reborn as well. Exactly. The, the fact that Israel still exists, when you consider throughout the millennia, <laughs> everybody around them has been after them. Everybody's been, they've been, there have been nations wanting to wipe those, that place out for centuries and centuries. Well, it's like I mentioned last, you know, one of the biggest proofs, physical proofs, okay, the scripture, in my opinion, doesn't need it, but, but one of the proofs out there, like, you know, like in Romans 1, you know, creation itself is a proof of the existence of God. Well, Woody, another one of those physical proofs that Scripture is accurate is the fact that Israel is still with us. It's like I mentioned last time. You walk up and down the neighborhood. Have you seen any Hittites lately? Any Jebusites, parasites? I mean, where, what happened to them? They're gone. They're gone. They didn't make the cut. I mean, but they're not, they're not the covenant nation of promise either. See, Israel is. And so I'll just, I'll go this far. If, you know, if, um, say, Iran does get a nuclear weapon and say they launch one and blow Israel to smithereens, this is still going to come true. Okay? See, physical surroundings don't have or should not have any effect on us on how we believe and understand this book. Yes, I believe that's that's when that's when the land promise is put together. The Jews then will go in there. Jeremiah thirty-one, this this promise, and Ezekiel that will take place to, to the nation as a whole. Also, Messiah Jesus is going to return. Revelation nineteen, he's going to come and then assume sit on the throne. It's going to all happen, and like I say, down the road we're going to be studying all that. And seeing how that's going to happen. Okay, I won't have. I don't have a date for you though. <laughs> I have a. I have a time frame, but I don't have a date. <laughs> Zechariah fourteen even gives you the way he's going to return. It hasn't been fulfilled. Oh yeah, no, and same thing. Yeah, and same thing with you know Revelation nineteen. The armies are there and being gone. Yeah, it's a technical term. Okay. Ezekiel 20, verse 4. Or 20, verse 24, excuse me. Okay. Ezekiel 20, 24. Because they had not observed my ordinances, but had re um, rejected my statutes and the profaned my Sabbaths, and in their eyes, they're on their idols of their fathers, and that is not at all what I was looking for. Let's try, let's try Isaiah 59. I have better luck with Isaiah. Oh, Zeke threw me a curve here. 59.21 And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit, which is upon you, and my words, which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of, of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. And here again, this is from Isaiah looking forward, speaking of the land. And one of the things I was going to mention about these, these prophecies 
in here in the Old Testament prophets, you'll read, even in the midst of pronouncing future judgment because of their sin, God often interjects that, but it's not, this situation is not going to be forever. One day, all those promises will come to pass. They will happen. They're going to come to pass. Romans 11, another tremendous passage of scripture about, and we'll be back in from Romans 9 through 11, actually, uh, again, because uh, it's important to see the future of Israel and its relation to the church. Romans 11, 25 through 27. <clears throat> For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I'm going to pause there for a moment. We're going to be getting into this in more detail because it's so important that there are, there are folks within Christianity, true Bible-believing people, that uh, subscribe to what's called replacement theology, where the church replaced Israel and took over all those promises? No, it didn't. No, it didn't. And this passage, I think, makes it pretty clear. Okay? Verse 26. And thus, all Israel will be saved. Now, if the church is going to take over those promises, why is Paul, an apostle of the church, (laughs) saying... We'll be all Israel will be saved. He wouldn't say something like that if they were replaced, right? So they're, they're pretty. And he goes on to quote uh, Ezekiel twenty forty. That's the one I got it written in my note here. Twenty forty. I'll just read it here. <laughs> the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is the covenant with them when I take away their sins. And see, that is critical. That's the critical thing that has to, all those are going to come into place. All of those. Are to, and that is the critical component of an unconditional covenant. And this is it. When I take away the sins, give them a new heart, take away that stony heart, that's and you'll find that part, that, that is incorporated in all unconditional covenants. It was not part of the conditional Mosaic covenant. God did not change their heart. Here, here's my commandments, keep them. They tried to keep it in the flesh and it didn't work out as a nation. Individuals, yes. Nationally, no. And that's it. National Israel. In nine... Romans 9.27 says this. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the sands of the sea, it is the remnant, see, the remnant that will be saved. You know, look at the sands of the sea like a bowl of salt, you know, and... The remnant is like you reach into that little bowl and take a pinch of salt out to season something. That's what it's going to be like. That's the thing. It's though they number in great number from their 
from the beginning to whatever the last day is, it's a small percentage of that group that is actually going to make up all Israel when the prophecies come to fruition. Okay? Okay, back to Ezekiel 36. Verse 27 says, And I will put my spirit with him. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit will be part of the new covenant for Israel. But I might say, because in looking forward, it actually is part of the new covenant. Because my next point that I'll get to here in a moment is the fact that we, the church, we have already, we have received that very new covenant. We've got it. We have it as the church. Israel as a nation does not. Individual Jews that accept Christ as their Savior obviously do. They get incorporated into the church. But, the, but national Israel, and we're talking national Israel. Okay. Now, verses 27 through yeah, verse uh, 36, 27 says, And I put my spirit within him and cause, and again, just like in Jeremiah, I will. I will, God says. It's God is the action here. God is doing it. That's why when you do, uh, uh, you study the scriptures, verbs are extremely important. That's the, that's the action. Verbs, the action words. What's going on? What's happening? Nouns are important, but verbs like boom, boom. What's going You know, that's the action. And so, um, in verse 26, I will give you a new heart. 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in, and, and cause you to walk in my statutes. Fleshly mankind can't do it. I mean, we're walking, it takes the Spirit of God to walk in those statutes, and as a result, you will be careful to observe my ordinances. All right? And then again, the land promise, verse 28. Now, in th- verse, uh, chapter 37 of Ezekiel, 12 to 14, again, moving forward. Now, this is... Uh, the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, uh, that's about bringing Israel and Judah back together. That's what that's about. Uh, you know, the split, remember the nation split? They're going to come back together. By the way, as far as God's concerned, the, the lost ten tribes, as they're referred to, they're not lost. God knows where they are, <laughs> you know. Um, and we'll see that as we move forward. But uh, Ezekiel 37, beginning verse 12, says, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and, I will, and, I, and you will, will come to life and I will place you on your own land, then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord God. Wow. Israel. This is that resurrection that you read about a few times in the Old Testament. Isaiah talks about it. Old Job talks about it. We'll get to that again in future lessons. Just uh, stay tuned. Okay? But now, let's compare that with let's go to John 3 we'll, we'll go Matthew another day John chapter 3 
John 3, 3 to 11. Very famous, this very famous conversation with Jesus with Nicodemus. John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we'll be talking later on about the kingdom, what all that means too, the various aspects of it. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must, you must be born again. And I mean, that's a command statement. You must be born again. That has to happen. Okay? The, okay? And here's how that happens, by the way. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, and here's the, here's the key, I believe, to understanding what he's talking about here, what Jesus is talking about. Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive or accept our witness or our testimony. Okay? He just himself and his, I believe, his apostles. And John the Baptist, perhaps, as well. All those that are preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeah. Putting it back in that time frame. But you notice here, remember, think back to Ezekiel. And see, why I say verse 10, you're the, you, you, the teacher, not just a teacher, but the teacher, he was considered very high up on the uh, teaching roster. Okay, he was, he was one of the top teachers of Israel, and you don't understand this? That tells me right now that, that what Jesus said is something they should un- be able to understand, which tells me it's something the Old Testament has already revealed. That as a teacher of the Old Testament, because that's all that was there, that's all that was there when Jesus was speaking, okay, it's got to go back to, how about Ezekiel 36? I will sprinkle clean water on you, which is symbolic of purification, and I'll put a hope my Holy Spirit within you. It's all right here. It's all right here in John 3. Now, there's some godly men that believe that being born of water refers to physical birth, where the with the ambient flu, is that what they're called? The ambiotic. It's kind of like cellulose or cellulose. <laughs> what we were talking about earlier. Anyway. But anyway. Uh, so, uh, well, <clears throat> I get what they're talking about. And kind of, and maybe Nicodemus kind of was going that way at first, at least. At, but my reasoning says, well, if it refers to your physical birth, well, if you were never born in the first place, you weren't here. <laughs> there is no you. <laughs> so does that really make sense in the scope of things? And I say there's good godly people that believe that. 
but to me, by telling Nicodemus, you the teacher, don't know what I'm saying. Well, Ezekiel made it pretty clear. I will make you clean, sprinkling clean, and sprinkling water, born, being born of water, speaks of purification, be, unless you're purified. Okay, and then the, another thing, verse 8, as the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from, and where it's going, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's who is the agent of regeneration in salvation? The Holy Spirit. And who is the agent of salvation? God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Triune God is the overall agent of salvation. You know, I will, I will remove that heart of stone. I will put in a heart of flesh. That's the act of God. Father, Son, and Spirit, all active in our salvation. Uh, now, I don't expect Nicodemus or any other Old Testament saint to get the Trinity down, uh, but at least the working of God down, and, uh, and then the Spirit of God. They understood that. And again, in your Bibles, the Spirit is, in, is capitalized, rightly so. Um, so you see how that is? And now he's telling that to Nicodemus, and we as believers... Uh, in the church age, we have received that new covenant. We are new covenant participants in the church. Again, back to Romans 9. Romans 9, 24 through 26, even us, speaking of the church, Gentiles actually, they're talking about Israel and the church here, but even us, who he has, who he has called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. He says in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people. Mm -hmm. And her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in that that place where it shall be said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Mm -hmm. Now, you figure you look at those are take those are excerpts out of the book of Hosea. If you're familiar with Hosea at all, you remember how it op- this, how the book opens. Hosea, the prophet, he says, Hosea, and you talk about a man with a rough job. I want you to go find a woman of harlotry and marry her. And to that, Hosea said, thanks, God. No, <laughs> he didn't say that. He obediently did it. He went and took a woman of Harley, made her his wife, and we all know what happened there. But what that was is he was a living picture of the relationship between God and Israel, the harlot being Israel. Okay? But yet, on through on, on through on, he kept, she kept going off, doing her stuff. He kept bringing her back, bringing her back. And that was the, that was the picture of Hosea. So that's fitting. And so from Hosea, it, he reaches out, and again, using that and saying, okay, I'm going beyond Israel, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a people who are not called my people. Israel's called my people in the context of Hosea. So I'm going to go to people that aren't my people, and I'm bringing them, I'm going to make them my people. That's us, Gentiles. And the big singular group, that group today is called the church. 
We are that group of people that were once not called his people, but are now his people. <laughs> okay? And we're going to see the time frame about that. And um, now Jesus, we've got, we're doing fine. Jesus ratified this covenant with his blood. This is a, a blood covenant, just like the animal sacrifices pictured. Look at Luke 22. <clears throat> Luke 22, 14 through 20. Now here we are, we're at the Last Supper. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I, before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and after had eaten, saying, This is the cup which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Okay? That new covenant in his blood. That's the new covenant. Jesus Christ himself is the sign of that covenant. Apart from that sacrifice, there would still be no new covenant. If he never did that sacrifice, there would never be a new covenant. Okay? And there would never be salvation for anybody, Jew or Gentile. Okay? It was, it was, that was a mandatory thing that had to happen. And we'll, we'll end in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. Very, again, this is, this is read uh, every time we serve communion, and rightfully so. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, also after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as, for as often as you eat this, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay? And that's where we're going in our prophetic study for his coming. But we're not going to stop at his coming. We're going to go all the way to the new heaven and new earth. But... As far as celebrating their, the communion of the Lord's table, I mean, that's why it's an important thing, and it's one not to be, and that's why there's some warnings that follow this, this you know, through 27, through uh, the end of the chapter. Is that uh, it's not to be taken lightly. It's a, it's, a, it's a memorial service, quite frankly. And we're remembering his sacrifice, which was no small thing. And, we, and we're supposed to remember that sacrifice until he comes. Okay? Any questions? We're actually five minutes. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you, Lord, 
for your new covenant that you graciously brought us into. Again, Lord, we just thank you so much for that. We just pray that we live up to it. We ask it all in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.